0: You'll never miss a moment with all of your favourites live on KO Sports. Every match of the NRL and AFL seasons as well as every F1 race live and ad break free during play. The NBA playoffs are also heating up and it's the biggest season of netball ever. That's right, all the big hits, high flying heroics and buzzer beaters ready to watch anywhere, anytime. How good is that? New to KO? Start your free trial today. If you have been a close contact of a person with coronavirus and that contact was in the last 72 hours, you may be eligible for a research study. Visit www.closecontacts.com.au
1: Welcome
2: to Garden Views, interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome, everyone, into Garden Views. And this week, we are continuing my extrapolation into the possibilities of space law. But we are going to stick with terrestrial law. uh, And my rank speculation upon the tree will pop in as it does whenever, whenever the muse inspires. But this week, we're going to be talking about immigration law and helping us in this exploration is my dear old friend, Anupa Mukhopadhyay, an attorney here in Maryland, down in, in South County, in South Maryland. So how are you, Anupa? Uh,
3: very good, thank you.
2: She is very good. She's, she's so smart as Anupa. Um, so I, I, I knew her ever since she was a wee little, Anupa. Uh, And she was an immigration attorney with a firm that I was with way back when. And uh, then she started her own practice and branched out and still doing immigration. And I reached out to her and she said, Sure, I'll be glad to help you out. So, what does immigration have to do with space law? I don't know necessarily, but I'm going to assume for the purposes of the show that the United States will continue to lead the extraterrestrial adventures, explorations, and that the United States will have some leadership role in space stations, things of that nature, perhaps even territories. If there is some sort of different international agreement, I I would imagine the United States would have some uh, policy role in that. If I'm wrong, and if it's, say, Russia or China or India or the United Arab Emirates, Maybe somebody in one of those countries is doing the same show as this one, and uh, you can talk to them. But for the purposes of this, we're going to be using U.S. immigration law. As far as space is concerned, I'm not really talking about work visas or marriage visas or stuff like that. Maybe we'll do another regular immigration show on that at another time. But I'm talking about things like international organizations, non-governmental organizations, the International Monetary Fund, and diplomatic status, uh, because those almost certainly going to be a lot of countries that are going to want to be involved. They're going to want uh, people assigned. There's going to be liaisons and things like that. So we're going to talk about diplomatic immigration here in the U.S. and non-governmental organizations, international associations. And ANUPA, if you could just sort of give us like a 10,000-foot view of what are these different types of organizations, entities. I think most people have some ideas as to what most of them are, but you know, talk to us like we're fourth graders and then we'll sort of go from there.
3: So uh, you're, you know, you're looking at uh, visas. So there are the uh, diplomatic visas and then visas that are given to um, uh, employees and workers of the international organizations so uh, diplomats are the foreign governments so any foreign government that has an embassy or a consulate uh, or a mission they they call the missions in in the united states um, they they fall under generally the um, uh, top level officers are uh, given diplomatic visas the staff and then the clerical workers they also get a special category of visas, but they are not diplomatic visas. So not everybody who works at an embassy is a diplomat.
2: Okay, and the difference—very it simple. It's a difference um, diplomatic immunity, and then the packages it's, can't it's, be searched yeah, so and things like that.
3: For example, uh, for example, if somebody is an ambassador or a consular general at a consulate or an uh, ambassador at an embassy. They, they are diplomats and they have diplomatic immunity. Anybody in that status, in that classification has diplomatic immunity, and that immunity would also go to their family and children. Okay. Right, so it's derivative. Uh, but the clerical workers, attendants, servants, let's say a cook, a domestic worker, a nanny who comes with them, those individuals are not diplomats. Um, So they they have a a visa status, um, but the visa status is not a diplomatic visa status. So that's your foreign government. What
2: what happens if you are a diplomat and you are married and you get divorced while here as a diplomat? Does your spouse uh, that had the diplomatic uh, status, do they lose it automatically? Do they have to go home? I mean, how does that work out?
3: Well, it does expire after a certain time because it's tied, it's a derivative status. So that visa status does expire um, because all these visa statuses are renewable. So it depends, three year, five year, whatever that status is for. And it does expire uh, if you get divorced and certain life changing event happens and it was a derivative um, status, then yes, it does get expired and it has to be adjusted to something else. So that's your foreign governments. And then you have the other category, which is uh, the international agencies. Um, you're talking about United Nations. You're talking about uh, World Health Organization, the International Monetary Fund. And then you have organizations which could be uh, like the South American um Pacific, uh, I think South American uh, Pacific. Some organization, I'm, I'm not quite remembering. I'm just these are just examples of international organizations. They they have uh, certain visa statuses, and they, these are not diplomatic visas, but they are uh, visa statuses that have certain privileges uh, if they work for a certain amount of time in the United States, and they are present in certain amount of time, and they meet the eligibility criteria. These statuses upon retirement um, can uh, convert to uh, legal permanent residency eventually uh, uh, um, for the United States and then becomes US citizens. So those those are those are in broad strokes, those are your two categories. Now there is a third category, um, which is the uh, NATO, the NATO visas. Mm-hmm. Those are all military uh, personnel that come and go. And these are the NATO countries um, that are in the NATO group and their employees, officers that come and go on the NATO visas. And they have NATO one through seven classification of visas. Um, And they have their own rules of eligibility to converting to uh, to uh, permanent residency and then eventually citizenship. So that's another privilege that the United States immigration laws allows for the NATO countries. And also there is the visa waiver program that is for the countries that are in the NATO countries and the treaty countries, for example. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, if you wanted to travel to uh, United Kingdom today, you could without a visa for 90 days if it was just for tourism. Now, if you wanted to go and work there for six months, then you need uh, another kind of visa to be able to go and work there. But if you just wanted to take a trip, you don't need a visa. You can just go on the, you know, based on the visa waiver program.
2: Okay, if I understand correctly. So the diplomats, um, their country sponsors them, in other words. So the country itself is requesting the status. For the organizations, it would be... uh, the organizations themselves would be the sponsor. Is yeah. it the same as a regular work visa or does it occupy its own space? It's a, it's a different kind for of employment-based visa.
3: For, for who? Uh,
2: say the IMF know. or the, uh, you know, the IMF. Bank. I'm... So what
3: happens is, so for example, World Health Organization needs an officer in some department in Washington, D.C. And they have a job description, they have a contract letter, they have an offer of employment. All of that that paperwork gets turned in with the visa application in the home country of the worker. And then the visa officer literally reviews what the contractual duties are, employment duties are. And based on those duties, the, the, um, the officer at the consulate you know, assigns a visa classification for that
2: international organization worker. Okay. We, we have a stand-in country so that we don't have to pick an example, and the stand-in country is Jeff Zikistan. So uh, you, whenever you want to pick a, a country outside the U.S., it's Jeff Zikistan. So,
1: okay.
2: So someone from Jeff Zikistan is hired by the World, uh, the World Health Organization, WHO. Everybody knows about that after the last two and a half years. Um, and... So the paperwork gets turned in to the U.S. consulate in Jafzikistan or to some organization, some body in Jafzikistan itself?
3: Okay. So first of all, is Jafzikistan, does it have a treaty and is it a recognized government by the United States? That's the first question you have to answer.
2: Yes. Every year so, it's voted in poll after poll, the most popular, most awesome country <laughs>
3: ever. Okay. So it's considered, if it's, so let's, in our hypothetical country, it's considered a accepted, recognized nation by the United States. Yes. That's number one. Once it is considered recognized United States nation, uh, you will have either a consulate, an embassy slash consulate in that country, or somewhere adjacent to that country if it's not feasible to have a consulate there. So you'll have some service. You know, the so Department of State will have some local service for that nation.
2: So, so and it goes to a, a United States consulate, either either in Uzbekistan or the closest full service closest office, closest
3: country where there is a U.S. embassy.
2: Okay, and and,
3: and 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 you and you would the the individual from that country. Um, so let's say they're coming for. Um, they're coming to their embassy in the United States in Washington, D.C. Then they would be considered on a diplomatic visa, either A1 or A2, those are the classifications. Say they are coming to the WHO uh, office here or the IMF or um, one of those, and then in that case, they will get a G1 or a G2 visa status. Um, so the, the G visa status, so there's an A visa status and the G visa status, and I'm being, I'm giving you very broad strokes here. Um, of course, you know, there's, again, when, once you go through the classification, the way the embassy official evaluates, they look at your contract, they look at your job description, they figure out what it is you're going to be doing. Are you going to be doing on, on behest of your government? Um then there's one type of set of visas. Are you doing it on the behest of your um, international organization? then it's one set of visas. Um, are you coming permanently uh, on a permanent assignment? or are you just coming temporarily for a few days and you're going from one event to the next event? So whatever is the primary event, uh, would be your visa classification. So let's say you were coming to the United States to attend some sort of uh, meeting about the defense of the NATO nations. And then you were going to Augusta for the golf tournament, right? So the, what what is the visa status that would be given to you? It would be the primary event, the primary meeting work that you're going to. That's the visa status you would have.
2: And once you have that stash, you can basically move about the country as long as your main role, your main job is, you know, still at the... That
3: is correct. That is correct.
2: And let me understand one other thing, and I'll just try and back up a little bit because the audience at large may not be aware of this. But not just anyone can get a work visa in the U.S. You have to meet some sort of category, some sort of slot, and there are specific numbers each year in the U.S., But generally speaking, you either need to be highly specialized, you need to be paid at least the prevailing wage that the the Department of Labor has, uh, has said is the prevailing wage for that task. And you must show that you cannot easily or have not been able to easily fill that position from the workforce available in the United States. That's regular work visas, generally very oversimplistic. But for these international organizations, I am assuming, perhaps incorrectly, that they can pick whoever they want. They're, they're not subject to those same kind of requirements. If the WHO wants someone from Blazikistan, even though it's just gonna be someone in the typing pool and you can get any get 30,000 candidates in Metro DC for the typing pool, doesn't matter. WHO wants Sour wants from Blazikistan, very popular name in, in I'm sorry, in Zikistan. Sorry, I'm confusing my stands, uh, my fictitious stands, um, in Zikistan. And they they say we want someone from Zikistan, That's it. There's no there's no further evaluation except the the duties, and that it's for a, it's for a recognized international organization, et cetera, et cetera.
3: That is true. Those are the privileges. Everything that you said is absolutely true. However, they have to still comply with United States labor laws. Sure, sure. So so for example. Um, they,
2: they, Sarah they can't be weeks. twelve. Pardon me. Sarah can't be twelve.
3: <laughs> so, so for example, you cannot bring bring your nanny over and take away her passport, lock her in a room, and pay her nothing. Right? So those who told you. <laughs> we recently had a case. I'm not going to name the country. I'm not going to name the diplomat. Um, the diplomat. Who worked at the consulate um, in, in one of the biggest metropolitan cities of the United States? Brought over the nanny, um, took away her passport, uh, did not pay her anything, and basically kept her locked up. Somehow she escaped, reported it, and this was prosecuted. It was prosecuted by the federal authorities. So the point is, you, you still, you yes, you do have the privilege of bringing on bringing your own service staff. They're called service service mm-hmm. staff and clerical staff. However, you would still have to follow all the labor laws. You would still have to pay them according to what the, uh, you know, the law states that these, these individuals should be paid. And they should all be afforded the same level of uh, you know, respect in terms of, you know, Basically, um, uh, making sure that the labor laws were not violated. So, forty-hour week, whatever whatever is instituted for each of our employees in the United States should be available to these workers in the United States.
2: So, in that case, I am presuming that the person who was charged federally was not on a on a diplomatic uh, visa. Here, they were some other so, international organization.
3: So they were kind of, sort of on a semi-diplomatic visa, but they were charged with um, uh, federal offense. Um, however, the country in question did, was able to bring them back, but they were charged with keeping this nanny locked up, taking away her passport and everything. So this is just an example-
2: But how'd they um, get around this- diplomatic immunity? Don't they have absolute immunity or did the home country waive it?
3: Um, I am not quite sure. I'm not quite sure, but I know she was charged. The the individual in question was charged and she was taken in, but then they released her. Is because it, it was it, it was a it, it was a huge hue and cry. So they ended up releasing her. Um, but there were charges, but then the home country just pulled her back.
2: Sure. But was it one of those things like the parking tickets offenses where you can't have diplomatic community for basically ministerial things that are outside of your scope and having a nanny at your home is not part of your you're not, you're I, I, I your not your diplomatic so I yeah.
3: believe so I think it almost fell under because she was charged charged with some sort of false imprisonment and keeping this lady locked up and took away because one of the things is your passport should be in your hands. It mm-hmm. should not be confiscated by anybody else. And uh, she had this situation. So I think there were some other events that took place that ended up um, sort of getting her charged. But then they were able to, the home country was able to take, you know, get her released sure. and fly well, her back to ho- her ho- well, own home country.
2: Right. Well, their their version of the State Department probably interceded. I'm sure something was worked out. Um, right. Or the, gover- the United States government said, you know, we... You know maybe we overreached on the diplomatic immunity thing here anyway that's not what this show is about so but that's an interesting case uh, just not necessarily for the show um, i
3: mean bottom line is you have to abide by the labor laws of the united states even though you know yes you have the privilege of bringing anybody you don't have to go and bring in an american worker you don't have to abide by those rules that every other employer has to abide by but you still have to abide by basic laws,
2: what if they live in the embassy or on a, in a consulate? What if it's someone who actually lives in the, on the embassy grounds because technically that's the territory of another country so if they're, if they're, if whatever labor law violations are occurring within the embassy grounds itself, does the u s have any jurisdiction whatsoever and i and I swear no. I think this will be my last hypothetical
3: no they, no they don't you, you, because that's considered any embassy land area that is considered sovereign property. However, if that person escapes and seeks asylum, then United States is obligated to um, entertain asylum.
2: Right. Okay. So what about the UN? Where does the UN fit in? Because it is diplomatic, but it is an international organization. But I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think it occupies a Sort of a unique position as far as international organizations, or am I wrong? Is it just like the World Health Organization or the uh, International Monetary Fund or whatever?
3: No, the uh, United Nations does um, have a unique, unique position, and uh, it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's its own body. It has its own security, own everything. You know, they have their own police, and the visas that are given interestingly, are called transiting visas. Mm-hmm. So from the airport, you are transiting to the United Nations compound, whatever that is. And uh, that allows you to travel and do things within the United States, but uh, the visa is a special visa. It's called transiting visa to the U- United Nations.
2: Well, they, uh, presumably, the people that work at the United Nations uh don't live on the United Nations premises if they're in New York that's City. They, they, you know, they probably have a nice place in in the city. Um, do they enjoy diplomatic immunity? Do they have to comply with um, labor laws for they, for their staff? They
3: have to comply with uh, so diplomat diplomats and diplomatic immunity is really the domain of foreign government <clears throat> workers at the embassy mm-hmm. and consulate, right? So that's. But United Nations, I mean, uh, they are not considered a diplomat in that sense. They are international workers who are transiting to an international uh, organization body of international, um, uh, made of international,
1: um, or
3: made of many c- countries, right? So um, the the country-specific person may be a diplomat who is who has been assigned, to the uh, United Nations.
2: And, and by the way, I don't mean to, to interject, even though I'm, of course, doing it on purpose. I, uh, in one of my travels, I actually met the Pakistani delegation uh, on the Asella, and I, I was sitting with like four to six of them, and we were chatting, and... A lot of countries and pakistan is a pretty big country so it's a pretty good uh, example i mean pakistan i think is like half a billion people that, that live in it so it's no it small potatoes and they didn't have a separate diplomatic corps for the united nations and the international monetary fund and so they they just sort of went in rotation when one was in session they went to that one and they just sort of right. so it was the same group the same Six guys and whatever their staffs would be uh, would go from place to place to place. So uh, they were transiting, you know, uh, from D.C. to New York quite a bit and whatever. I don't recall if they were also the same as the diplomats in the embassy or not, but it was definitely for the different international organizations. I suspect not. I suspect that that was not the ambassador from Pakistan to the United States. So so
3: someone or a group like that would be uh, transiting... Visa would be in the transiting visa classification, which usually is a G classification, and that's what they give to the United Nations employees. But you could have embassy personnel representing the country at United Nations, who is a diplomat. So, so um, you may have that, too.
2: Well, let's explore something on this immunity, non-immunity thing. So I'm on the Asela with the same group of, of, of guys, except plus one, and that plus one is the ambassador from pakistan to the united states not to the united nations so they're sending together the pakistani ambassador at the united nations and the pakistani ambassador to the united states sitting uh next to each other i'm sorry i'm only i'm not picking jeff zikistan because this is this is almost a semi-real-life hypothetical but this part is not the next part is absolutely fiction uh, to protect the absolute innocent including the alleged victim in this case being me so they both say We hate you, Jeff. You're terrible, which that part might be true. Uh, So the ambassador to the uh, United States for the Pakistani embassy punches me on my left cheek and the Pakistani ambassador to the United Nations punches me on my right cheek. The ambassador to the United Nations does not have diplomatic immunity, can be arrested. The ambassador to the uh, embassy in Pakistan cannot be because he has he or she has diplomatic immunity Would that is that correct that
3: that is correct unless the ambassador to united nations also has a dual status is a staff member of the embassy or consulate for pakistan here
2: now now what about all of the military and intelligence and law enforcement liaisons which movies and tv would have us believe are always spies but do they have diplomatic immunity or are they just international workers Uh, assuming they don't have something like, you know, undersecretary of something for diplomatic affairs or some type of like that. It
3: would go back to the question, who are are they coming here? So on whose behest are they coming here? Is it their government? If it is their government, then they are, you know, coming as a government um, uh, official. And if they're coming as a government official, they would fall under the diplomat. Right, mm-hmm. so let's say the, the head of the army, you know, uh, chief of the army is coming from uh, Pakistan. Uh, he would, on an official business, that he would have the diplomatic classification.
2: In, Jeff- in Jefferson, we call that the grand marshal.
0: Hi, I'm Peter Mitchell from Seven News. We'll get answers to the pressing questions. Interest rates, your health, Melbourne's famous weather, the latest in footy, Know the news. Seven News every night at six o'clock.
2: So, all right. So, um, we talked about NATO, and NATO has its own status as well. What about other military organizations of which the United States is a part of? And the United States is part of a bunch of regional ones, including Australia and New Zealand, and the U.S. basically has a joint military or part of it. Uh, the United States has uh alliances with Japan, South Korea, and I believe some other countries in the Pacific. And I also believe in, in in the Caribbean and South America. I think that there's something brewing there as well. Um and I you know I know that the African Union exists. I don't believe the United States is part of it, but I imagine they have some sort of office in in DC as well for for maybe they don't. I don't know. But would they have the same kind of arrangement as NATO visas or is that a case by case or no?
3: no nato visas are are, are are their own thing because it's between the nato countries it's subject to the um, treaty um, um, which is overarching and they also have their visa waiver program so we're going to set that aside um, because that deals with just nato visas but you have yes um, every other country most other countries do have their military um, uh, coming going they have programs in which officers come here for a few months maybe six months to a year they they may work at the Pentagon and then they go back now uh, question is are they coming um again are they being sponsored through their government and coming if they are then they are on a s- sort of semi-diplomatic visa status maybe not full immunity but there is a semi-status um, where you know they come for a year they are on some program they may even go to uh, through some um, educational um, sort of program with the officers here um, but they have it with they have it with pretty much every other country um, but those are individual um, country to country so it's say between United States and um, let's pick um, I don't know picks a non-NATO country, a United States and... Um, Australia. Australia. They have their own programs. So if the person is coming from, let's say the Australian military system and the United States, they have their own joint task force. They are doing programs together. They're running projects together. Then based on that, that visa would be uh, provided to come here.
2: Okay. Now, what if uh, Jeff Zika stands? elite special forces the sea lions because that's what we call them not the seals want to train with the navy seals who might be better than jeff forces right now temporarily so i wanted to send all 27000 i mean 27 of my jeff Zikistan sea lions here to train with the navy seals would that be on one of those uh unilateral or military to military sort of work temporary work visa would that be a specialty so, visa would that so it would be diplomatic first of all
3: you would have to have a treaty okay right we have a treaty so first of all you would the, have to have a nation-to-nation treaty i've told and, you that the
2: u.s and jeff Zikistan, number one most awesome friends relationships we have, oh, okay. co- we have coffee mugs and everything
3: okay so so as long as the treaty provides for mm-hmm. um a back-and-forth and education and support um all of these things would be you know fall under the guidance of the treaty and then department of state um if if the um, you know the na- national leaders of jeff zikistan express an interest that we want your special forces program uh, to teach our um, the sea lions then they would work out a project, they would work out a program, it would be for a certain amount of time, whether it's, you know, two-year program, a year and a half program, and then they would, um, this project would be in charge of controlling the program, the 27 people would come here, Uh, they would be given, uh, through the project, they would be given housing uh, their family would be given um, all the facilities, children would be provided for schooling while these 27 go into uh, the military training process. Um, and this is where, this, this is almost like building bridges between the United States because we have a, we have a huge interest in building bridges with countries where we, we may not have any presence um, because this helps us in the long run It really helps us to have our presence there and what best ambassadors than people of that nation who come here, understand us, understand our values, culture, learn it. And then, you know, we have helped and supported them in their education and they go back and become our ambassadors. So we have, we really have a lot of interest in doing those kind of programs and we do them regularly.
2: And also, they get trained on our weapon system and have to buy our munitions. So there's an equipment. So there, there's that as well.
1: Yes. You know,
2: I, I do for the audience. I want the audience out there to know one thing, and that's that Anupam used to laugh at my jokes, and now she doesn't laugh at my jokes anymore. And I, and I want to know why that is. Am I no longer funny?
3: No, you were very funny. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I'm just very impressed with this. So, you know, it's, it's left me
2: tongue-tied. <laughs> okay, that's fine. All right, that's good. Okay, folks, you heard it. This is third-party verification. I am, in fact, funny and always was. All right, so here is a little bit of my extrapolation from what I'm hearing. And so when it comes to space, you know, obviously there's plenty of permutations, but there's probably, you know, you probably have one lead country, or you'll have some international organization like the International Space Station. And that international organization might be like the UN, but it will probably start with fewer countries that are putting the money in or other valuable re- valuable resources, whether that's providing all the fuel or uh, certain s- skills or, or whatever it is, uh, maybe astronauts, um, what have you. But that would replace, that would take the place of like the UN in space. So I'm sort of, it's called the Federation, just to borrow Star Trek's language. Uh, so maybe the Federation is, is of the first 11 countries or whatever, which may or may not grow over time and probably would have some type of similar type of immigration roadmaps, work roadmaps for countries that are not part of the Federation, but had, were in some type of good standing with the Federation, We're not adverse. To the, to the Federation. So you might have people from 37 other countries here that weren't part of the Federation, but were either working towards it or had some sort of friendly relationships or whatever. They were part of negotiations. So sort of a, you know, you have a, your International Space Station, your UN, your Federation out there somewhere, and or you could have a combination. You could have your US base, your Chinese base, and on your US base, very possibly very similar U.S. immigration laws um, would apply, whereas on the Chinese base, perhaps Chinese immigration laws would apply, whatever the, those might be. Um, to think that there'd be some sort of interstellar consensus uh, on non-interstellar properties is um, beyond the comprehension, beyond beyond the imagination of this speaker. What What, what do you think?
3: Uh, right right now i can only speculate based on what's happening right now um under um uh, our under president trump um a special corps was created or the space uh, force or is the space corps to be um, um and, and there is right now um, another unit in the pentagon um yep.
2: uh, yes. that's that's i know they're blowing me the space off and Space Force is a branch of the military. It's the new fifth branch of the military, but apparently they're very so they underfunded. I, they, they referred me to the Air Force media desk because apparently they don't have their own. Uh, <laughs> and I haven't gotten around to calling them because I, I know. I, I just can
3: tell you they have they have T-shirts, um, mugs, shot glasses. They're selling at the Pentagon gift shop. So it's it's, it's they have it. Um,
2: oh, so you've been to the Pentagon, eh? Big no, shots? No, no, I
3: haven't been to the Pentagon. i so here's the thing so Uh already military i I think military um whatever is governing the military will sort of kind of um um, permeate this area as far as united states is concerned but then we also have some commercial development of space flights Mm -hmm. um between uh, jeff bezos and elon musk you already have um, um, they, they, Elon Musk just sent um, three former astronauts um, on his commercial flight, mm-hmm. and then there were tourists on it. So, you know, I, I think if it's a US, just like you know, in a in a US plane, US law applies. I think if it's a US ship, US shuttle, the United States laws would apply. If it's another country's shuttle, uh, that. Uh, countries law would apply. Now, the question is what laws apply to the International Space Station?
2: Yeah, which, or, or wherever they dock or land. The, yeah, wherever they
3: dock. Yeah. Um, uh, right now, it's Russia. Interestingly, it's Russia and United States primarily running the International Space Station. So um, maybe there is, I, I don't know how it is configured. Um, I don't have the knowledge of that space station, but if I don't know if there is a Russian portion or a US portion <laughs> or it's, it's up there you know they, they are all um, uh, experts in their field and they're all scientists and maybe they don't they are above our petty politics
2: <laughs> and one of them is a murderer <laughs> so
3: um, it's a movie I'm working on a,
2: it's, it's a script yeah. I'm working on in space only 11 other people can hear you scream and they're a bunch of nerdy scientists no. Uh, yeah. No, I think that I think that you're probably right about that. And uh, as we've seen in past laws, when there are emerging areas, if there's anything that they can sort of map onto and use as a template, they will. And by they, I mean, you know, I'm talking about the US or Maryland or any state. I mean, for instance, there's something called the Uniform Commercial Code. Most states have their own commercial code, which is in a lot of ways, word for word, the same as the uniform commercial code. Sometimes there's some differences, et cetera, but probably in all 50 states in the District of Columbia, it's probably at least 80% the same. There's the federal rules of civil procedure, probably in most states, except for Louisiana, they are probably 75%, nearly identical, maybe some differences in the amount of days and and limits, but if, if you... Ignore the allowance for days and terminology like court of general pleas versus small claims or, you know, to sort of minor things like that. It's probably also 90%, you know, largely identical. Um, and we discovered that in some prior episodes of this little exposition where um, the law of the sea uh, and admiralty basically. It took from the railroad laws and the law of aviation, basically took from the law of admiralty and maritime law, um, and uh, uh, you know the the a lot of the wages laws, uh, you know, sort of borrowed from federal workers' compensation or you know. So a lot of these schemes are, you know, have a, have a lot of overlap. So this extrapolation, you know probably is pretty realistic until there's problems. And then there needs to be adaptation um, to catch up, which, you know, we're, we have this right now, right here on Earth. We we have laws that are not current with our technology and cyber commerce and the internet. And, you know, we've got, we've got laws that are still talking to, you know, barely caught up to fax machines, you know, and they're worried about everything electronic now and trying to apply those. So the law is always going to be behind the time, so to speak. Um, Do you anticipate that there will be uh, a lot of pressure for public-private partnerships uh, because of cost-sharing versus governments trying to keep it to themselves or the other extreme? Like you pointed out, there there are some very rich people, very well-financed people who they might want to keep things all to themselves and may not be interested in partnering with governments. I mean, and I know that you didn't really want to engage in too much rank speculation, but I'm, I'm you know, cyber cornering you a little bit in this. What, what are your thoughts on that?
3: Well, um, I, I think it'll go. I, I think it'll go more and more private, but um, at some point, it will need regulation, and government will have to step in. But it is going towards privatization. I mean, look at the money system that's you're not going to see a currency note maybe in 50 to 100 years there will not be any coins or currency notes you probably will go into complete digital monetary system which will be privately uh, operated through exchanges so um, it's happening um i i think i think the days of um government keeping complete control over certain um, Aspects of society are uh, m- more and more, you know, they're declining. So yes, you, the space will probably be more and more in private, private hands, and um, and a one way to make, if, if they can make it profitable, they can expand. Um, problem with government is profit is not their, uh, um, you know, profit has never been their uh, goal. It has always been control. Uh, And at some point, uh, money runs out. You Mm. you cannot have an enterprise with no ability to make money. And that's the reason um, um, NASA has sort of backed away from from space Um, and now it has been taken over by private entities and um, they will do what they have to do to make money. And in the process, you will have an expansion of space
2: well that's a that's a different problem is as you say government will have to regulate, but a few interesting questions there how will they regulate if the private company is already on Mars now I always use elon musk as 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 my standard for this. I hope I'm not offending you mr musk i i I'll take a job, please put me on your ships um I'm not particularly useful, but I'm sure that you know they can eat me or something um but you know if Elon Musk goes over and declares Mars is his and then he says I'm the president of Mars who's to tell him he's not and if the government wants to regulate them how do the the courts of earth have any jurisdiction over mars which is obviously objectively not par- part of earth no matter how many countries are in that treaty cuz Elon Musk is not part is not a government that's part of that treaty
3: so here here's the thing um let's say um... Mr. Musk goes and establishes a uh, um, super dome with breathable air on Mars or some something. He right. does that. He still needs uh, some sort of security. He will never be able to provide the level of security that the United as a country can he's, provide
2: him he's praetorian th- th- via russia i mean musk is from muscovite i mean let's not fool anyone he's got he's got plenty of mercenaries he'll <laughs> he's he's he'll go no, up there with, with the a battalion no,
3: not at the level because uh, you know certain certain level of security you mm-hmm. will need if you are going to colonize mars and stay there with Let's say um, today he moved from California to Texas. And tomorrow he says, I'm going to move everything to Mars. Well, even if you move everything to Mars, you still need the security that a nation can provide you um, through its laws, treaties with other countries. Otherwise, you are open to piracy. China sure. can come and take you take, take you over. And uh, we would not want that. Uh, it is not in our in- interest to have... Elon Musk and his uh, discoveries fall into Chinese hands. Mm -hmm. And it's in his interest to make sure that his discoveries and whatever he's going to do doesn't fall into another another foreign government's hands. So um, I think at that point, yes, the government would be involved.
2: Perhaps. I'm betting on him that he could deploy things more quickly there, that he would have, that no country could launch a, offensive force, uh, of sufficient size and timing to get there, uh, to do anything about it. But th- that's just my surmising. and you might be right. You know, China could launch, you know, 50 battalions of, of space Marines and, you know, Elon only has a force of 35, you know, guys with, uh, you know, bows and arrows or whatever you can use in Mars to shoot at someone, um. So, all right. but that's not what you were here for. You were here for immigration. I roped you into all. I roped you into basically limited Star Wars, uh, John Carter of Mars type stuff. Um, is there anything about immigration that I did not ask about, or that I threw you off the track of that you did want to mention for with regards to immunity or diplomatic status, international organizations, or quasi diplomatic organizations?
3: So the only thing I would add is, you know, the people to watch people I really um, feel for are the people who are the serviced workers, custodians, the the clerical workers at these international organizations and embassies who um, work here for decades and then they retire and they have to go home because they don't have a mechanism to adjust their status because we only adjust to legal permanent residency status the people who are classified as diplomats and semi-diplomats. So that that's that's the key thing. You know, when an international worker is in this country, are they diplomats or semi-diplomats? If they are diplomats or semi-diplomats, they can, after a certain number of years uh, working and living here, become a legal permanent resident um, and also get citizenship. But the other people who are not classified as that cannot.
2: Yes. Well, that's just another example of sort of the uh, l- little folks not getting taken Iraq. care of, much like the interpreters and the people who helped us in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, who who, who knows who's who's going to be ostracized and alienated next until we decide to get around and, you know, bribe them again. And they, you know, they can't say no. I mean, you know, it's 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 the cycle of things Um but I really appreciate your expertise on this and your humoring me a little bit. I know you didn't want to get involved in rank punditry and speculation and extrapolation into space. That's sort of more my jam. You want to stick to the immigration stuff. But come on, it's fun. Admit
1: it. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah,
2: okay.
3: It's always fun talking to you, Jeff.
2: <laughs> thank you. That was good. And it's lovely to see you again. And thank you for coming into Garden Views. So like I said, maybe we'll do another one sometime on uh a regular more pedestrian immigration or, or some other topic uh folks thank you give us uh thank you for listening please give us five stars give a rating give a review tell your friends uh if you subscribe to garden of doom you get garden views if you only want garden views you won't find it it's, it's on the garden of doom feed so you only have two choices you subscribe to garden of doom or subscribe to wrestling soup Hammerlock Hangover, where you get all three of my shows, Hammerlock Hangover, Garden of Doom, and Garden Views. Um, so look at that. Three for the price of one, which is zero. Um, that's amazing. So you can't get a better value than that. Thank you all for listening to Garden Views. We will hopefully hear from you or you'll hear from us next week, again, with another episode involving the law. And, you know, as the the... The partners has had it. We take usually about two or three weeks between the space extrapolation and, and stick to sort of more terrestrial law or other uh, interesting subjects. And it's not always going to be legal. So fear not. If you hate law subjects, it's not always going to be legal. We're, we are uh, starting to book some things outside of just uh, strict law. So thanks. And we will hear from you next week.
0: Thank you. never dear song I said let me come with you we don't have to be alone I said let me come with you I will make your home
1: That special thing? Find it at Klarna Dream Deal Days. Get the best deals from your favourite brands, like 30% off computers and accessories from UMart, today and tomorrow. T's and C's at klarna.com.
0: Can you remember the last time you checked the equipment? Were all staff inductions done?
1: When was the guard taken off?
0: WorkSafe is conducting more inspections than ever before.
1: If you're running an unsafe workplace, you will be caught.
0: Because keeping your employees safe is your job. Making sure you do it is ours. More inspectors. More inspections. WorkSafe Victoria.